0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, if you are here in the room, you're joining us online, we are glad that you are worshiping with us. And if you're new, I am Charlie, the lead pastor here at the Grove, and really glad that you are worshiping with us today. Um, any, anybody have a late night last night? Anybody? I think I expected a little more cowboy boots and hats or something today, but if you ask me, I, I, didn't, I didn't go, I didn't go, like, it was really good. I'm glad I, we didn't. I don't know that my, I, my, my schedule could have handled it. But I did enjoy yesterday afternoon, early evening, just getting on the Maps app on my phone and just looking at the traffic patterns. It was just crazy what you guys did to our town. Anyways, we were we were, we were safely in the northeast corner just living life. It was great. Anyways, glad everybody is here. We're starting a new series today. Looking forward to that. And um, we got this video we're going to show you a little bit later. We got this new space that we've been using over the last couple of months. It's been great. For our youth group, and if you were here uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a we kind of did a work project around here, kind of getting everything ready for Easter. So I had some things to do in there, and and I kind of made this decision that I was going to u- utilize this time to finally unpack like all the boxes of books that I had and get them on the bookshelves because they've been in in storage for a while. And so I just made that commitment. I was going to do it. I ended up. Doing what old people do when they're dealing with books, I hurt my back, but I kept going. I was like, I can't hold back. People kept walking past, uh, making snarky comments to me. The best one was, "I didn't know you read," which was nice. It was my ten-year-old daughter Layla actually that said that? Which was makes it even makes it even better. But it was really interesting. There was this kind of this new phenomenon. You know, I hadn't really gone through my books in a long time, and I was like, I, got, I need to limit this. I need to. Get rid of some of these that I don't really, I'm not even ever planning on reading again. But when you're a pastor, it's like you just get, you accumulate a lot of books. You go to these seminary classes, they give you these stack of books. You go to conferences, they give you books. People in your church who really care about you, they like you, and they have this book that, hey, I want you to read this, and so they give you a book. People who are at the church that are, they're mad at you, you need to read this book. I mean, you just just get a lot of books, and you just feel like you feel this obligation, like they're sacred, you can't ever just get rid of them. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta get rid of some of these. But it was interesting. I had not really thought about this. I was just really interesting. I would pull this book out and I would see the book and I would see the author and I'd be like, I can't have a book by this person anymore. And it was just like, it was like sex scandal. Like I don't like, nope, nope, another one, another one, or just like. This, oh, it turns out this guy's a jerk and got fired from his church for being a total jerk. I don't know that I want his thoughts on this topic anymore. It's like, I just didn't, I didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't I I want him. Because this is the thing, it's like, it's for me, it's, you know, I, I, I try to be cool, right? I try to be cool. I try to be nice. I try to be nice. It's not me. Thinking, I try not to let people, think things make me mad. But pastors acting a fool out there, making the rest of us look bad, that, that just, I, um, and so I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want your book anymore, bro. So anyways, and sometimes, sometimes I get this way. You Obviously, this is a completely unrelatable moment. Like, like I'm talking to somebody and it's going really, really well, right? It's going well. We're having a good time. I don't know you. We're having a good conversation. They say, and so what do you do for a living? I'm like, man, it was going good. Now I got to tell you, and you're going to start acting weird because you think I'm weird. Right, you think there's something wrong with me, right? And it's just kind of this frustrating thing of just kind of like this dishonoring of God that has happened too many times out there. Maybe you follow completely different news sites and you don't even know what I'm talking about, and I've just ruined this for you. But there's just a lot of bad stories out there, and it really hasn't dissuaded me from my faith. But if, let's just say, from time to time, it's, it's just it's just discouraging, right? But I think a lot of us, a lot of us have had things like that, things that from our past or things that are going on in our life right now, or interactions that we're having with people, things that just kind of slowly are just kind of discouraging us away from our faith. Things where it's like I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want anything any more to do with that. It's like maybe something that happened. In our church growing up, or again, maybe it's one of these scandals. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff out there that Christians are doing and and there are these movements, right? And we have names for them. They get overused sometimes, but people talk about I'm a deconstructionist. I'm deconstructing my faith. There's a there's another word out there called exvangelical, which is like I used to be a part of an evangelical and I got rid of that because it was so unhealthy, and now I'm finding some new path. And they find themselves just kind of slowly drifting away from real genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And every time I see it, every time I see it, it just breaks my heart. Whether it's something that's going on inside of them, whether or not it's some difficult circumstance in their life, whether it's the some of the division and anger that they see out there amongst people who say that they represent God, or just, just the... Just the the challenges of life itself, it breaks my heart just as a person, much less a pastor or a friend, when I see people just kind of slowly drift away from faith. So we're starting a new series today in 2 Timothy. We're going to be going through the book of 2 Timothy over the next six weeks. And this is kind of a little hint, if you didn't know this, right? So Paul wrote 2 Timothy, and he wrote most of the letters. He's kind of this missionary guy who was kind of one of the, the first followers of Jesus in the book of Acts after the original uh, 11 disciples. And he's this missionary. He goes on all these trips, has these kind of protégés with him, plants all these churches, and does really all these cool things. And wrote 13 books, these 13 letters, 13 of the letters that are in the New Testament. And uh, here's a little hint. If, if the letter was written by Paul, then the name of the letter tells you who the audience is. So, like, Colossians was written to a group of people called the Colossians. This is 2 Timothy, and so it was written by Paul to a guy named Timothy. The other letters that aren't written by Paul are named after the author. Now you, you, can, you can file that away for your Bible study knowledge. So we got this letter written by Paul to Timothy. And Timothy is, a, is one of Paul's protégés. He had gone with him on some of these mission trips... Uh, it looks like it seems like that Paul was really involved in helping him come to faith and know who Jesus is and was planted ultimately by Paul in Ephesus to be a pastor here. And the situation that Paul finds himself right at this moment, is he's been arrested again. He's been arrested a few times, but it is very apparent in the way that Paul is talking and some of the ways he's describing that he believes and it turns out to be true that he believes that his death is imminent, that he is about to die. And so he's writing to Timothy, and, he's, and and there's a discouraging, you can tell a little bit here, Paul's discouraged. Not necessarily in the stuff we're going to look at today, but there's points where you can just tell he's discouraged because a lot of different people that he thought were kind of his bros, kind of his peers, or some of his protégés that were leading these churches, a lot of them have just kind of abandoned Paul. They don't want anything to do with him. And a lot of them have just kind of completely walked away from Jesus entirely. And so Paul's really discouraged and he's gotten word, he's gotten word that maybe Timothy's in the same boat, that Timothy is allowing something in his circumstances to make him kind of drift away from his real commitment and passion, not just only, not only for following Jesus, but kind of for being a pastor and kind of helping people know who Jesus is. And he's, he's slowly drifting away. And we'll learn kind of some of the circumstances that are going on. One is like, man, when you, I mean, I just imagine like when your mentor gets arrested and is on the verge of execution, that's got to put a little fear in you, right? It's, it's got to put some fear in you. Like they're gonna, maybe they're going to come after me next. And even if you're not afraid it's going to happen to you, it's obviously going to be very discouraging. Well, this isn't how I want my life to end up. And it's sad and I, and I love him and he's starting to drift away. And at the same time, in his church, there's just a lot of division, a lot of anger, a lot lot of people coming in and teaching a lot of false things. And it's become really discouraging to him. People are attacking the division, all these things. And and Timothy is kind of slowly drifting away. And Paul writes this letter. You know, and and, and again, sometimes it will feel very encouraging. Sometimes it will feel very challenging. He's like, man, I don't want you to give up. This life that God has called us to is too precious, it's too awesome, it's too amazing, you can't give up. Do not allow yourself, do not allow your faith, do not allow any of this to fade away. In fact, you need to do everything you can to strengthen it. Do not allow all of these these internal circumstances here in the church, the things that are going on in your heart, these things that are going out on in the world, don't allow them to pull you away from Jesus. And so it's a, very, it's a very passionate letter written by Paul. And while we may not be pastors, and I say we, I guess I mean you, because some of we are, but we are not, right? We aren't pastors. I think we do have a lot in common with him. I think we will find ourselves connecting with Timothy. As we think about things that are, that can discourage us, that make us just kind of slowly drift away. And so as we find ourselves connecting with the heart of Timothy, I, I also hope that we will find ourselves challenged and encouraged by what Paul has to say and, and no longer let these circumstances, these things out there or in here pull us away from Jesus. And so we're not going to cover every verse in all of 2 Timothy. We're going to catch the highlights. We'll kind of make sure we understand the general flow. And so it starts in chapter 1, with the standard way, if you've ever read any of Paul's letters, hey, it's me, it's Paul, I'm a, I'm a disciple, and I, hey, I'm, I'm here, excited. And, and then it goes straight into what I can only, I mean, for lack of a better word, you'll excuse me if this offends your sensibilities, what it feels like to me can only be described as just like manipulation, Because the first thing is like, man, I remember last time we were together and how sad you were. I remember you crying. I'm like, bro, why you got to bring that up? Why you got to bring up that I was crying? You were crying. It was real sentimental. And you know what I was thinking about too the other day? I was thinking about your mom. And calls her by name, your mom, and what faith she has, and your grandma, too, and the faith that she has. And I was thinking about your mom and your grandma all the faith. And, and I know, because of who they are, that you obviously have a strong faith, too. I'm like, bro, why you got to bring my mama into it? Like, I just imagine, like, he's like, Eunice and Lois, mom and grandma. So, is it like a first Eunice and Lois out there, too, somewhere? And he's like, you, you got to go get your boy. I don't know what's wrong with him. He's like, it's like... Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember it all the time. This happened to me all the time. Maybe you're a better person than me, right? You're sitting there in youth groups like, your mom's gonna hear about this. Like, man, why ain't I gonna bring my mom into it? So maybe, again, maybe ma- ma- manipulation is too strong of a word. But there, there's, there's an influence. There's, there's a persuasion that Paul's doing here. He's really wanting to, to connect with these moments. Do you remember the last time we were together? Do you remember this legacy a faith that you have in your family. Do you remember that? And then he says, and and, and you remember too, I remember this, when when I was there and we had the ceremony, I put my hands on you and we kind of empowered you to to play this role. Do you remember? He's like, he's trying to get him to remember and, and to allow these things to kind of stir back in him. And then in verse seven, he says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that God's spirit lives in you because I remember our connection. I remember well, your mom and your, and your grandma and this legacy of faith that is in your life. And I remember being there and praying for you and watching God do this really cool thing as a kind of, you took on this role. I remember all of these things. I want you to remember them and that God's spirit dwells in you and this spirit that God has given you is not the kind of spirit that makes somebody timid It is is one that gives you power. It gives you love. It gives you discipline. And, And you need to remember that. And so, Paul's first really real encouragement here to Timothy, and I really think that this verse not only plays a central role in this passage we're looking at, but really in the entire book letter that we're going to be looking at. I think it is. Paul's first bit of advice, his first command, but really perhaps his strongest one, his most important one that we'll see all throughout this scripture, which is to reject timidity. Reject timidity. God's spirit is in you. And this timidity that you have, this unease that you have, this slow drift that you're having, this way you're just kind of allowing the circumstances in your heart and in your life and in the church and in the world, you're allowing these things to make you drift away. Reject that because God's spirit lives in you. And the timidity and the fear and the unease that you feel, that doesn't come from God's spirit. But God's spirit is in you, so you reject it. Because what, in fact, what the spirit that God has given you it actually gives you the tools you need to overcome all of these things. You see the world breaking down around you. You see I'm in jail. I'm going to be executed. You see people falling away. You see all of the obstacles that the world throws out there. But God's spirit gives you power. It gives you power. Power. You can overcome whatever it is. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in your life is like, this this is just one thing too many. Maybe it's some sort of external tragedy, or maybe just kind of the way the world is in general, or maybe you thought your life was headed in this certain direction, and now there's this huge obstacle. I imagined my life this way, but now it's like this, and one too many of these, and I feel like I just can't overcome any more of this. This is just this is just too much. There's too much hurt. There's too much wrong in this world. And this is what Timothy is saying to him. I know that you think that. I know that you're feeling that, but reject timidity and embrace the power to overcome that God's spirit has that dwells that I know dwells in you. But there's also all this division. And I hear this a lot Of people who like reason why they want to reject church. They want to reject Jesus. Because of just the perception of the amount of division and hate that there is. And I say in here, I don't mean in this room. I love you guys and I feel like you guys are exemplary in not showing this. But if we think about the church in general, Christians in general, I think we, we, to some degree, we, we feel some of this. We feel we feel that there's just a lot of anger, a lot of division, a lot of hate out there. And again, it just is like too much. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. But God has called us not to be timid in the face of that, in the face of division, in the face of, of hurt, people hurting others, in the face of people who are hurt. It, hate is not overcome by timidity. Hate is not overcome by more hate. God's spirit, in fact, has given you love. And that is what is going to overcome. Whatever it is, however it is you would describe it, whatever particular brand of it you've experienced, whatever the thing is that you just find yourself just like, it, just, it shouldn't be like that with God's people, and it discourages you. It makes you go, it's not gonna, nothing's going to be better if we get discouraged and allow it to make us drift. But that will be overcome by love, and that is the spirit God's spirit puts that in us. And I can, I can have power to overcome the obstacles and I can have the love that it takes to overcome the hate and the division that I experience. But honestly, just to be honest, some of the things that make us drift, that kind of slowly make us drift, it's not external, it's right in here. It's, it's me, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. My selfishness, my unhealthy desires... These are the things that are slowly pulling me away from God. But God's spirit gives you self-discipline. Which, I'm a semantics guy, I'm a you know, words guy, and there's something really interesting about this play on words here, that God's spirit in you gives you self-discipline. Right? I mean, and so, let's just for a second, let's kind of move past the logistics of that and just kind of focus on this. That God's spirit in you gives you the discipline that you need to overcome these things. I do not have to be subject to my own unhealthy, selfish desires. That, isn't, that doesn't have to be it for me. And I think too many of us have surrendered. We have surrendered to something internal to us, a habit that we have, a selfishness, a, some, 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 again, some issue that we have caused and it's like, it is too much, it's too big, it's too discouraging, and I, might as well just, I might as well just quit. But that's a spirit of timidity that we reject. God's spirit gives you the discipline to overcome the things that are internal to you. It gives you the power of God's love to overcome the hate and division in this world and gives you the power to overcome the obstacles that this world is gonna be throwing at you. So I encourage you, just think about the things. Just think about the things that in your past or in your present, that may be the kinds of things that would discourage you, that would make you feel like, what are we, what are, what are we, even, what are we even doing? What is even the point? And reject that line of thinking and embrace the power and the love and the self-discipline that comes from God's spirit being in you. So he's telling, he's telling Timothy this. Make sure you understand this spirit. Understand, but you need to understand where it comes from. And you need to understand the depth and the power at which the spirit, what, what this spirit really does have the power to do and where it comes from. And so he continues, verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Every time I've read this passage today, this week, and the weeks leading up to this, part of me is just like, man, I wish we were doing 10 weeks just on what this says. As he describes what the gospel is. And, the, and, and, the, and, the, and this call that he has on our life, this call that he has for us, and, and, and the gift that is the gospel and the life that's not based on anything that we do, that is based completely as on his grace, and, and, that, and that through this we can he's destroyed death, he's given us life, he's given us immortality. There's just so much packed in just, just a couple of verses. And to the degree. That I have the ability to influence you and give you homework that you would accept. I encourage you to spend a lot of t- some time this week just reading and reflecting on just those two verses. Second Timothy 1: nine through10. And allow God to just kind of continue to unfold and, and reveal to you just his description here of the gospel and where it comes from and the power that it has. But again, his, 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 his motivation here to Timothy, he's told him he needs to reject timidity and you need to reject timidity because the gospel the gospel is incredibly powerful. I reject timidity because the gospel is powerful. He says here, he has saved you. You have been saved and he has called you to a holy life. Now, we've, t- we've, we've kind of twisted this word just a little bit where I say God wants you to be holy and you think like morally perfect comes to your mind or too often kind of a, I got to be better than everybody else, like, like, like a morally superior kind of way. And morals obviously play a part in this, but I think a better word for holy, holy really kind of means set apart. A better word for us that I think more intuitively kind of connects with this is the word Extraordinary. God has saved you and called you to an extraordinary life. There's ordinary and there's holy. There's everyday common and then there's holy. There's life that we see and then there's extraordinary life. God has called you and he saved you and he's calling you. You can have an extraordinary life with him not just some ordinary life. And so do you believe, do you genuinely believe that the gospel has power over your life, that it is the power, the love, the self-discipline that I need to live an extraordinary life? If you were here last week for Easter, we talked about this, and I bring it up again because I think it is of critical importance. The way that I believe that kind of the gospel was kind of communicated to me early on that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I could have eternal life. And I feel like the way it was described to me was like it was a ticket to heaven. Like if you believe in Jesus, you get a ticket to heaven. And if you're good enough between now and when you die, you get to redeem the ticket. Now, Paul talks a little bit about here, about the length of life, that he is, he's brought immortality to life. He talks about distance, how long that life continues beyond physical death. He talks about that but I think we can all agree that what he is talking about here is of significant more power than that. The holy life that he has called us to, who has destroyed death and brought life to light. That it is not just some ticket that I redeemed. It is, it is an opportunity right now in this life to live an extraordinary life for him. To no longer be defined by the things that are pulling us away from him. The obstacles and hurt of this life, the division and the and the hate that is out in the world, the own my own weakness and selfishness that I have inside of me, this, these, these are no longer the thing. They, they, this, is not the, this, is not, this is not life. But when we accept timidity and we let the waves and, and, and the drift of this world kind of take us where it's going to where it's going to take us, we just end up in despair. And ordinary. But God has called us and saved us so that we could live a life that is extraordinary. And my purpose, my mission, my morality, who I am, how I live, I can live the life that my soul is craving and a life that overcomes the worst that this world is constantly throwing at us. And I was thinking about, I've been thinking about this week about my own journey in this. And you know, some people when they talk about their life and kind of how they really understood who Jesus was and the gospel, they'll talk about a life before Jesus and kind of this one moment in time and then their life after. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, it really can be kind of a journey. and It's really kind of a long journey for me. I grew up in a very traditional church, and at seven years old, I think I really understood. I think I understood the real basics, the real basics, kind of the mechanics of the way the gospel worked, what my sin did, and Jesus' death on the cross being for me, and that I needed to believe in him, and that I could have life. I believed that, I understood it, and I made this statement, got baptized as as a young child. But you know, it's a very, you know, I don't want to say shallow in a bad way, It it was It was a seven-year-old faith that I had. And I remember this moment when I was 12. And um, I've never in my life, before this moment or after this, I've never been scared of storms. Storms don't scare me. Thunder, none none of that scares me. But something about this particular moment, I remember waking up in the middle of the night to this loud uh, thunder. This bright light. I don't know where. It must have hit really close to our house. It was really bright. It was really loud. The sound was almost immediate. And I remember just waking up scared to death. And there was something about that moment that just kind of made me just kind of pause and reflect about the seriousness and the stakes of kind of life and death. And I had some knowledge, some memory of me kind of putting my faith in Jesus when I was seven, but there was something about this moment. And I remember saying to God, it was almost word for word, I I don't know how sincere or how much I understood when I got baptized. But God, I want you to know that I put my faith fully in you. And two seconds later, I was asleep. i remember that story forever. And then somewhere between my spring semester of my freshman year and fall semester of my sophomore year, that the year, I guess the calendar year was 1991. And coincidentally, not, not really... Part of that was studying this, this book for the first time. I, I just remember for the first time in my life, I think, I think I'd always kind of define the Christian life in terms of heaven ticket and, 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 and don't do these two or three morally bad things. And if you go to church, you avoid the worst bad things and you hold on to your heaven ticket, that's the Christian life. And I remember for the very first time really being encountered, encountering this idea that the gospel has power in my life right now. The extraordinary life that God has called me to in this moment. And my life has never been the same since then. And then Paul continues on. And he says this in verse 13. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Reject timidity because the gospel is powerful. And so it is of incredible importance that you protect what God has given you. God's spirit lives in you and it's given you the power to overcome the worst that this world throws at you out there and in and here. And, and this power comes from the gospel to which God has called you to live an extraordinary life of, mer- of mission, purpose, joy, peace. This is the life that he's called us to. It's not survive until I cash in my ticket. It is life with him right now and and power and love and self-discipline. A holy, extraordinary life. That is what you have. That is what God has given you. So do whatever you can to protect it. I'm not going to let anything push me downstream. I am going to continue in this so that I can have this life. I'm going to accept the homework that I was given. And I'm going to look at those verses this week. I'm going to spend some time praying about it. I'm going to spend some time talking to God about the things in my life that are discouraging me. I'm going to spend some time with other people to hold me accountable, to help me, to keep me on that path. I'm going to do whatever it takes by coming to church, by being in small group, by my own disciplines In prayer, and the word, I'm going to do whatever it takes to guard this because there's too many things out there and in here that are pulling, trying to pull me away. I'm not going to let it because I'm going to guard the deposit that was entrusted. I'm going to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep this faith and love. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to guard it. I'm not going to just drift, but I'm going to actively pursue the extraordinary life that God has called me to. Now we're gonna spend a lot of time over these next few weeks as, as Paul just kind of lays it out for us. The different aspects of this life, the mission aspect to it, the 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 again, the, the morality pieces to it, the heart pieces, the action pieces. But it starts in this moment for us to be honest about the things that pull us away and to then counter that with the spirit of God that lives in us and gives us the power to overcome because of the power and beauty of the gospel. And it begins also with us making a commitment to say, I will do what I can to protect it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Paul. God, I thank you for Timothy. I think I that there's a guy in the Bible who's just a regular guy, struggling with regular stuff, <sighs> who gets scared like we do, who drifts like we do. And God, I pray that God that we would we would let these words speak to us, and we would not let ourselves get discouraged. And God, we would not settle for ordinary, but God, that we would believe in a gospel that has power in this life and the next. God, I pray that the power of the gospel will be very real to us. And that God, that we would live the holy, extraordinary life that our soul is yearning for, God. And that with the help of your Spirit, we would guard and protect this each and every day. And we're so thankful for your Son, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen.